through over the last two weeks, notwithstanding the first part was meeting our in-laws, the new in-laws for the first time, and our trip to uh, Utah. It could not have been better. It really couldn't have. Um, we got along just fine with uh, John's uh, new soon-to-be mother and father-in-law uh, so well that we spent part of every day of the three days that we were there with them. So that was a, a great thing. Utah was beautiful. We got snow, but it was a perfect, cold, dry powder. And so it was exciting for uh, the family to, to be in it and for me to drive in it. And, you know, and uh, those folks in Utah see that white California license plate and they give you all kinds of room, you know. So uh, it, was a, it was a great time. It's funny, one of the things I've been very reflective over the last few weeks, had a lot of time to think, and um, those things that we worry about and we pray about, but then we worry about them. I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say I. I prayed about things and then I worry about them. And, you know, that's, I got to admit, that's the way I am. And the Bible says don't do that, and I do it anyways. I was worried about uh, my children. You know, I worry about you. I worry about all kinds of things. I'm great at worrying. I come from a long uh, uh, heritage of worrying. You've heard me uh, tell the story of my mother calling me one time. She goes, oh, honey, I'm worried about you. And I go, that's great, because now I'm worried about you worrying about me. And, and I've become her and probably everyone else down the road. Worry, worry, worry. Here's one of the things that God showed me. We got to go to John and Kelly's church. And about 22 years ago, when um, the Lord led me back to the church and I brought my family, I met a man and his wife, Pastor Bill Bartlett and Cindy Bartlett, and they had talked about how, among other things, they had prayed for their children from the time they were, well, even before they were born, but while they were born, in their children's spouses. And I remember it just clicked with me. I'm like, wow, you can do that. I mean, well, duh, but never thought about it. So for over 22 years, I've been praying for my children's spouses. I'm praying that they come from a family that loves them, that points them to Jesus, that they're safe and they're healthy and they're not, you know, of the terrible things that happen in the world. None of that happens. That they're, they're good people. And here I am sitting in this church with, with Tracy and John, and Kelly is up there in worship, and she's singing, and she does a lead, and it's a song that's new. It's called Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. And all of a sudden, the waterworks go on. I start crying. I'm like, okay, God, now you're just showing off. Here's this girl that I've been praying for. She's more than I ever could have dreamed her to be, her family, we get along. And she's in worship, leading in a song. My son is sitting in his church in a faraway land that you all help pray for to keep him from becoming a Mormon. I was pretty worried about that. I have friends that, you know, walk this face of the earth, and they go, of all the things that your son could be, and these friends aren't believers, your biggest fear was he'd become a Mormon, but you know what that means. That's death. And yet in this faraway land, God found this and brought John to this church that loved him and loved Kelly. They gave him a pastor, gave him, introduced him to a wife that loves Jesus, to a family that points their children to Jesus. Oh my goodness, I wept. I, I don't know why I worried. I guess it's because of my flesh. But God delivers. Now while I was away, the world fell apart, it sounds like. Right? We had this faraway land and wars, and, and we still have this thing called COVID. And hey, that's the other good thing I got to report. We, we got to do that. We survived it. Thanks be to God. It was not fun. But after two and a half, three years waiting for that bomb to go off, here it went. And God delivered us through that. God answers prayers. He is faithful when I am not. I'm so glad to be here today. I hope that things go without a hitch, but you know me after six years, there's going to be some hitches. And so I'm just grateful to be in front of you as we point our hearts and our minds and, and we hear God's gospel, his soothing gospel. I want to point out to you something here um, in this season. 
in Lent that we are going to, things are changed up a little bit. So on page 78, um, in our Holy Communion setting too, when we start the Kyrie, after the Kyrie, we're going to be singing, do you remember this one? Glory to God in the highest, right? That's the one we'll be singing. So um, listen to Ed. He knows how it goes. And otherwise you can hum. And uh, so that's, that's the major uh, change in here. And uh, without any further ado, I've already used 10 minutes of your time. Uh, Tim, will you uh, get us started? We come together this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to God our Father, most merciful God. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God in his mercy has given his Son to die for you, and for his sake he forgives you all of your sins, and as you're called an ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, And for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, Comfort and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, We worship you, we give you thanks. We praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you who take away the sin of the world, Have mercy on us. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Receive our prayer. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit in the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord God, You led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory 
of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. The first reading this morning is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 311 in the Pew Bible. This is the fifth book of the Old Testament written by Moses. And the background is, this is the send-off speech um, to the Israelites that are going to inherit the land of Canaan. They'd been wandering the desert, their parents, for 40 years or so. They were disobedient to God, so they didn't get to go, but their offspring did. And Moses didn't get to go because he lost his temper with the Israelites, and God didn't much care for that. So Moses didn't get to go either. But what I'm going to read is his send-off speech to the young people who are going into Canaan, the land of milk and honey. Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning with the first verse. Moses is speaking. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. The second reading will be from Psalm 91, verses 1 through 13. We read that responsively. I believe it's on page 6 in your bulletin. Author is unknown. This is a glowing testimony to the safety and security for those who trust in God Almighty. Psalm 91, beginning with the first verse. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. The epistle this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. And this can be found on page 1760 in the Pew Bible. Now, as Paul writes this, he is most likely with the Corinthians in Corinth, Greece. He has not been to Rome yet, and he's writing a letter in advance of his going there. And he's describing what faith is, where it comes from, and how you know if it's alive. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Christ. Our gospel this morning is indeed from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page, I don't have it in here, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, anyway, Luke records, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, that man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, It will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. A 
Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Before we get started, I apologize that there was something went on with our live streaming. I think we're back on now, but uh, for those listening at home, uh, I told you there'd be some glitches. Luke records in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, something that every year is um, maybe noticed by you, but every year the gospel for the first Sunday in Lent tells us about the time that Satan personally tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Last year we heard the story from St. Mark, and next year we will hear the story from St. Matthew, but this year it is St. Luke's turn to tell us the story. All three Gospels tell us that Jesus endured Satan's temptation for 40 days, 40 days without eating. The early church fathers decided that the church should remember these 40 days of temptation with 40 days of repentance and preparation before Good Friday and Easter. And since the early church fathers thought that every Sunday was a a little Easter, they did not count the Sundays in those 40 days. And that is the reason that this Sunday is called the first Sunday in Lent and not the first Sunday of Lent. And that is also the reason that it takes us 46 calendar days to get through the 40 days of Lent. The events of the temptation take place shortly after John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. Now the baptism not only identified Jesus to the world, but also identified Jesus to Satan and to his demons. And as far as Satan was concerned, the baptism painted a a bullseye right on Jesus. And it made him Satan's number one target, just as Adam had been Satan's number one target after God created man. So, It was not long after the baptism that Jesus had this battle with Satan. It is important. It is important to understand that these temptations were very, very real. We should not ever think that Jesus relied on his divine nature to get him through this event. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, Matthew and Luke remind us of Jesus' humanity by telling us that after Jesus battled Satan for 40 days without food, they record he was hungry. He was hungry. God doesn't get hungry. Hunger is a characteristic of Jesus' human nature. And the fact that Jesus was hungry reminds us that Jesus withstood Satan's attack using only his human nature. He used no resources that we, as humans, do not have. He didn't get hangry either. I'm sorry I had to throw that in there, but boy, I'll tell you what. Does anyone get upset when you're hungry? Maybe have a, okay, I'm the only one? Okay. The second temptation in today's gospel may be the cruelest of the three. Listen to me. 
Picture this. The devil took him up, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him this, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Now, if you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Satan showed all the kingdoms of the inhabited world to Jesus, and that these kingdoms we know originally belonged to God. He created them. And then he crowned Adam and Eve as king and as queen over these kingdoms. And when Adam and Eve fell into Satan's temptation, they gave over to Satan control over these kingdoms. Adam and Eve became slaves to sin in Satan's kingdom. And when we read Satan's words where he says, it has been delivered to me, given to me, this reminds us of the tragedy of Adam and Eve's surrender to the devil in Eden. Now, it's recorded that Satan showed these kingdoms to Jesus in an instant. And I'm sure that Jesus saw all of the cruelty, all of the sin, all of the pain in the world under Satan's influence. And it must have been like watching the torture and the suffering of your own family. Can you imagine? And then Satan offered Jesus a deal after he showed him all these things. And he says, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you could end all this pain and suffering. I would be willing to give this world back to you. And then you could run it any way you wanted. It could be such a simple transaction. You don't really have to go through all the shame or all of the pain and all of the suffering and death to win back the world. No, there could be peace between us now, Satan is offering to Jesus. It's a win-win situation. Come on. It's a no-brainer. All I ask in return is that you would worship me just one time. That's all. Satan says, I'm not asking for much. Not much at all, and you would receive so much in return. Why can't we just get along? This temptation never died. Today's gospel tells us when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That means that the devil only withdrew in order to regroup and to attack again. And all three of the temptations followed Jesus through his entire ministry. Every time that people wanted to make Jesus their earthly king, they were doing Satan's will. They were tempting Jesus to forgo the agony of the cross by compromising with the devil. Even Peter, good old Peter, became Satan's tool. When Jesus began telling the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer, recorded in Matthew 16, verses 22 through 23, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Jesus knew who was behind Peter's misguided concern. Now, the second temptation is still around today. Satan readily tells us that we can be at peace with all people. That all we need to do is surrender our faithfulness to God's word. So, it could be said, so what if not everyone agrees with the Bible 100%? As long as they agree on the really important articles of doctrine, what difference does it make if there are some minor discrepancies with the Bible? The important thing, the world says, is that we all get along, right? So what if we don't agree with a few minor points of God's word? It's the big deal. Do you want to be the one who determines which part of the Bible is, is minor? <laughs> I don't. So is infant baptism minor? What about the real presence of God in the sacrament of the altar? Is that minor? You know, some churches today seem to believe that, that uh, God's commandments concerning sexual purity are minor. Some churches seem to think that murdering infants before they are born is minor. Where does it end? What point do we decide that the entire Bible is minor and really not worth studying? So when we take it upon ourselves to determine that something in the Bible is minor, we are committing the most flagrant kind of idolatry. When we trivialize a part of God's word, we are making ourselves equal with God. In fact, we are trying to place ourselves above God by arrogantly judging his word. We are falling into Satan's trap. Satan would have us place peace and unity with the children of this world above our peace and unity with God. When we make God's word minor, we disarm ourselves in the presence of the enemy. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 17, said, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, you realize, you've heard it said, but the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is the one and only offensive weapon at our disposal. We notice how Jesus used this offensive weapon in today's gospel. He writes, it is written, or he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he says, it is said that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. God's word is the weapon Jesus used to stop Satan. It is the weapon that God gave to us. So how dare we throw it in a corner? How dare we let it get dusty and rusty? God's word is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to produce and sustain faith in us. St. Paul writes to the Romans. In Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So when we make God's word minor, we are committing slow spiritual suicide. We often fall to Satan's compromises, but Jesus never did. Jesus withstood Satan's temptation on our behalf. He is our champion. He never compromised with Satan. Instead, Jesus stayed on the hard road on the way to the cross. And eventually, the word was his again, but not through compromise. The world was his again, not through compromise. Jesus fulfilled every promise God made. Jesus withstood Satan himself in the wilderness of hunger. He withstood Satan's agents during his ministry. He endured temptation even to the cross. And Jesus never ever wavered. And in the end, Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. And he defeated the devil. He rose from the dead. He bought us back with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death that we might be his own and live under him in his eternal kingdom. And with his victory on the cross, Jesus earned forgiveness for us. And the Holy Spirit brings that forgiveness to us as he works faith in us through word and sacrament. And the Holy Spirit will aid us in our struggle, in our struggle with Satan's temptations, including the temptation to compromise God's word. He will strengthen our faith, and he will bring us home to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Will you please stand if you're able? Let us now confess together our faith to the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for all people in accordance to their needs. Lord, most high, be the dwelling place of your people for the sake of Jesus who suffered temptation and death for our redemption. Be our refuge. Preserve us from every evil and plague and strengthen us in faith so that we may be satisfied with your salvation. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, in the midst of this life, we are beset by many temptations. Fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus, who bore temptation for us and resisted to the point of death and brings us through the evils of this fallen world to dwell with you forever. Lord, in your mercy, Father in heaven, your Son trampled the serpent underfoot and freed us from sin and death by his own death on the cross. Protect and preserve all whom you call to preach Christ and him crucified. Command your angels concerning them. Guard them in all their ways and bear them up for the sake of Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of all, you bestow your riches on all who call upon you. Bless parents with all wisdom as they teach their children your ways, that all in the household may confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, govern the kingdoms of this world according to your holy and gracious will. Protect authorities from every temptation of the devil who falsely claim sovereignty over them and equip them to curb what is evil and promote what is good. Lord, in your mercy, God of all mercy, you answer those who call upon you. Hear our prayers for all who are in need of healing and restoration, those who we have silently and on our hearts or speak out loud right now. Be with them in their trouble and rescue them according to your gracious will. Lord, in your mercy, O Lord, Everyone who believes in Jesus as Lord will not be put to shame. Unite your people in a right confession of your word and thus freed from disagreement over your truth. Bring us with penitent hearts to receive the great riches of your Son's body and blood. Lord, in your mercy, Almighty God, your Son was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to suffer temptation for our sake as part of our redemption. Strengthen us when we are tempted so that we do not take 
his obedience for granted. And teach us to rely upon your word as our defense against the evil one. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now may the peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us share the peace responsibly from a distance. Pray with me. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness we have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and in all places offer thanks and praise to you, O Lord, Holy Father, through Christ our Lord. You bid your people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the paschal feast. Renew our zeal in faith and life and bring us to the fullness of grace that belongs to the children of God. And so, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For we know that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim Christ's death, his resurrection, and his glorious, triumphant coming again. Let us now pray together the prayer that Jesus gave to us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> His body, his blood, given, shed, a new covenant for you and for me. He's our champion. He is the one who gives us what we need to be with him. That is the power to be called the children of God. He gives, we receive. It's as simple as that. May we never complicate it. May we never cause it to be looked at or spoken about or even thought about as minor, it's not, it's big, bigger than we can even imagine. And yet, he's here in the presence in these elements for you and for me. If your confession is that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that there is no way to heaven except through him, faith in him, then come, the table is prepared. Who died for me? How he left his home in glory.
Jesus was hungry. God doesn't get hungry, right? That proves his humanity. I could have been hungry and gotten a a double-double, and I probably would have. That still would have been a sin. He didn't. He could have. And I still sin, and you still sin. But we serve the one who never did who went to the cross taking my sin, your sin, to that cross, nailing it there and saying, it is finished. May that give you comfort and peace knowing he's our champion. We are his children. And now the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you his perfect peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My worth is not in what I own not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in that flow at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer greatest treasure wellspring of my soul I will trust in Him no other my soul is satisfied in Him
My value fixed, my ransom 